0: Uh, today is actually a really big day, not for anything to do with uh, sabbatical. It's a, such a big day, though, that I'm pausing our sermon series in Philippians to focus us in because today we're commissioning a group of men to serve as elders of Mercy Church. Now, this word elder might be weird to you, okay, if you're especially if you're newer to the Bible because we don't really use it a lot. In the English language, uh, we're going to be over in the book of Titus. By the way, if you're like, "Where do I go in my Bible?" I love that because you bring your Bible and you're ready. Okay, so the first chapter of Titus where we're going. But if the word "elders" new to you, because in the English we kind of only use it now for talking about an older person or talking about like that magical shrubbery where you pull the elderberries and they make you feel better instantly when you eat them or something. That's like the only way we talk about it. But in the Bible, elders are the leaders of the church. The word is actually synonymous with pastor. And well, we've spent the past year training a group of men to serve as elders. About a month ago, we introduced them to our members and asked you to pray over them to confirm the Lord's appointment or to signal us to wait. This is why membership matters so much. Here at Mercy Church, the member's job is to hold the elders accountable to confirming or cautioning the direction God is taking us. Well, this past week, our members voted uh, voted in every single one of the elders that we presented to you. And so today, we're going to lay hands on them and commission them at the end of this sermon. So what I want to do first, it's just one of those moments, a good opportunity to show you what God's Word has to say about elders. We're going to do three things. I'll show you the the nature of an elder's authority. This is all from Titus 1, 5 through 9, the nature of an elder's authority, the character to look for in an elder, the role that the elder plays. But before any of that, let me tell you why this matters so much. All right, especially for you who are like, I just showed up at this church and this feels like insider baseball a little bit, okay? (laughs) Look, here's why elders matter. Elders matter because the church matters. And the church matters because God has decided to make his church, his instrument in the world that desperately needs him. It seems like every week we see evidence again of how broken the world is, how desperate it is for redemption. Like even this week where we saw what I would say is a, just a reminder that the image of God is deserved dignity with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That would just happen on Friday. I wish they would make decisions on Monday, not on Friday when pastors was to have a couple of days off, but still like, there was a, a big moment and everything, and we see this, and we're like, we see, man, that's, that's good. We're seeing the image of God. But then everybody rages online one way or another about it, and you still see, oh, my goodness, the world desperately needs Jesus, right? Not just a certain piece of legislation. It needs Jesus, right? And God has placed his church like a city set on a hill to shine the light of Christ into the world, to carry the hope of Christ into the dark places of the world, to speak and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. Y'all, the church is the one that announces the hope of Jesus to sinners. The church cares for widows and orphans. The church gives sanctuary to the refugee. The church cares for the sick. And the church is the family, the body, the community of friends for all who call Christ their Savior. The church is God's plan A to tell the world about himself. And God loves the church. The local church a lot. In fact, he calls it his bride. And elders are his appointed means of ensuring that his bride is honoring and worthy of its groom named Jesus. And when the church is healthy, some of y'all have been around church before, you know this. When the church is healthy, its people flourish and the gospel moves forward. And the elders are the one charged to keep the church healthy. When the church gets unhealthy, It can do great damage to the reputation of the gospel in a community. And elders are the ones appointed by the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to ensure the church stays healthy and stays on mission. I know enough of your stories to know. Some of you come in here with church hurt and some of you come in here with great, like your church sent you out and you came here to Charlotte and you're ready to serve. And the difference is palpable in your life because the impact the church has had on you. The best thing, I believe, for a local community. This is why we're so big on church planting around here, that we want to send out churches, because the best thing for a local community and for your individual life is a healthy church. And the best way to ensure a church is healthy is having qualified elders protecting and guiding the church. So that's why this is so big, and I want to take the time today to talk about it, because as go the elder, so goes the church, so goes the community. So let's look at the nature of an elder's authority. We'll do three things in Titus 1, 5 through 9. We'll look at the nature of an elder's authority. We'll look at the character of an elder. And finally, at the end, we'll look at what the role of the elder, a little bit more about what it is. And then we'll commission some men to the task. So we'll start in verse 5 with the nature of an elder's authority. Titus 1, 5, both campuses. Y'all ready? Yeah. Yes, Okay. All right, here's my challenge. All right, so I'll probably do this a little bit this morning. By the time I get back from this sabbatical thing, somebody needs to just like roar and jump up and down with like face paint, like that is the you know walk off home run kind of situation. All right, when we ask if you're ready for God's word. All right, let's just. It always happens at Northeast. It's here. Providence show y'all got to catch up. Okay, Um, love love the Northeast family. Here we go. The reason I left you in Crete. Was to set right what was left undone. And as I directed you, to appoint elders, to appoint elders in every town. Now, the thing I want to say about verse five is very specific. I've told you every single letter matters in scripture. The word elder is plural. And consistent in the New Testament is always a reference to church leadership as plural, elders. We got a group of elders who oversee Mercy Church. I'm not the only elder. There are a group of us. And y'all, I'll go ahead and tell you, that isn't the most efficient method of organizational leadership, okay? Group decision-making slows things down. But God doesn't build his church for efficiency. He builds his church to reflect his beauty and glory. And because God designed it, we can be confident his way is best. This isn't the... Spence, the pastor, and everybody else, do what I say, show. I am an elder here, and as one of the elders, I'm subject to the mutual accountability that exists on the elder team. The men we commission today will serve as fellow elders with me, and these guys, they do do a great job. They have so far, and I know that these guys coming in will as well. They do a great job of letting me use my gifts of teaching and leadership and vision casting, so I do serve our church as the lead pastor or senior pastor, but authority-wise, we share that load. And the beautiful thing here is that the only way this can work is if this group of elders has massive amounts of humility and trust with one another. See, God loves unity in the body because it amplifies the gospel. And the only way this group can function effectively is if they humbly persevere together, seeking to outdo one another in honor and serving one another. Otherwise, nothing ever gets done. (laughs) And the beauty is that that reflects the very nature of God himself. Three persons of the Godhead regularly giving honor and glory to one another and existing in perfect unity. So, we different men, all I promise you, we're not short on opinions, okay? But we insist upon unity together because God insists upon it. So, the first thing about an elder's authority is that it is shared, not singular, all right? It's a shared authority, not a singular authority. It's not really regular either. I don't know why that's the thing that's on the screen. I don't know if that's at both locations, but it's not singular, all right? Now, having said that, let me speak to something we all know about this whole authority thing. We live in an age that is deeply skeptical of power structures, and surely there's some good reason to that. Think about the past few years, the Me Too movement, the recent sexual abuse scandals both in the world and in the church have left many skeptical of church leadership. And I get it, y'all. I grew up in two churches. In one, the church destroyed the pastor. And in the other, the pastor destroyed the church. I got to the end of high school. I wanted nothing to do with the local church. And so, of course, God would lead me to become a pastor. That's another story, another day. Um, but what I need you to hear right now is that the call to being an elder is not a call to power. It's, it's, it's a call to servant to sacrifice to a form of death and slavery. That's Matthew 20, 25 to 28. Jesus brings the disciples aside and he says to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This calling to elders, the opposite of a power grab. He's saying leaders are given authority in the church because these are the ones who are showing sacrificial love. They show a willingness and an eagerness to get down on their knees and wash the feet of the ones that they serve. That's who makes a good elder, the type of man who's willing to sacrifice, who looks at the people of the church and says, I'm willing and ready to die to myself just like Jesus, because he loves these people, and therefore, I love these people. Elders go first in living the gospel. And the gospel says, God loves you and I so much, he died for us. And that love is the model by which we love others, and the elders go first. The aspiration to be an elder, 1 Timothy 3 is going to say it's a noble one, but it's not an aspiration unto power. It's an aspiration unto a form of death. We don't let a man be an elder unless he's willing to die to himself for you. That's the nature of an elder's authority. It's a selfless serving authority. It is a mutual authority. It is shared, not singular. And then Hebrews 13 goes even further. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, not only are they servants in this life, they're accountable to God. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. One day, myself and the other elders here have to stand before God and give an account to God for the members of Mercy Church. We are accountable to God for the state of your soul. Now, how is that for an elder recruiting speech? The perks of eldership, die to self, be accountable to God for the souls of others. Come join us. You know, all of this means we do not walk into this lightly. Being an elder is anything but a power grab. Now with that said, let's keep going into the character of an elder as we go into verse 6. See, here's the thing. The list that Paul is about to give Titus, and he gives a very similar one to Timothy over in 1 Timothy 3, it's a list of like qualifications of an elder. It's almost all about character. It's not who's the smartest or who's the most put together or who's the most successful because that's not the point. It's a character thing. The reason it's all character is because the elders are here to lead you to Jesus. And so their main job is to look like Jesus. Right? Verse 6. An elder must be blameless. The husband of one wife. With faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Okay. There's like... I told you we're going to talk about the character of an elder for a little bit. There's like three different character traits right there in verse 6. The first... This is where he says blameless. This is kind of the overarching one. He's got that colon right there. This is an easy starting point. Just be blameless. Just be perfect, right? Well, if, if, if blameless means perfect, out of the gate, I'm sorry, church, all of your elders have failed. So what does this mean? It can't mean perfect. It means they carry themselves in such a way that accusations are not brought against them. And any false ones that are brought against them are quickly revealed as false because of how transparent and upstanding he's lived among others. He's going to say blameless in the home, Paul's going to say, and then blameless in the church. This is an overarching word to describe the character of the elder. Blameless, you might have a translation that says above reproach, and that's the reason why it's so important is because he's holding up the gospel of Jesus to you. That's a big deal. He's leading you to Jesus, so he's got to look like Jesus. You should smell another uh, way Paul's going to talk about is that you should smell the aroma of Christ on him. Now, this is big. He will not be Jesus, all right? He's going to be a fellow sinner. And the minute we try and make a pastor our savior, we encounter all kinds of problems, and usually so does he, all right? Not the savior, but is supposed to point us to the savior. And if you follow him, you'll find Jesus. He's blameless. And then the next thing here is the husband of one wife. He's Faithful is the word I want to use to articulate that. Another way of saying husband of one wife is that he's a one-woman man. Now listen, because we are at this spot in the text, let me go ahead and say, cards on the table here, we do believe the role of elder is to be held by qualified men. Now this is not a sermon about women in ministry because it's not what the text is about right here but it is related of course because we're talking about a leadership role in the church so I want you to give me five minutes to explain our our whole position here since this is how it's a big deal how we treat and value women in our day is a big issue in our day it's very important I mean even thinking about the news from this week what I'm gonna say is that this right here is about God's design for an office of the church not about giftings and abilities. The spiritual gifts of teaching and leadership are certainly as available to our sisters as they are to our brothers. Those are gifts. In fact, for a church to be healthy, we got to cultivate the leadership and teaching gifts of all who have them, both men and women. And we must invite and encourage women to lead in every way that God has made available. That's our aim as the church. I'll let you under the hood right now. I feel like we are making our way there and not there yet by any means, but I think about even our staff team right now. Uh, Mercy has 28 staff members who are full or part-time. Right now, that's 14 women and 14 men. Uh, Mandy Foster serves on our executive leadership team on our staff. That's the the highest level of leadership inside of our staff. That reports to the elders. Three of our eight ministry directors are female. M- women and men both teach our equip classes here at Mercy Church, which is kind of like our theological training arm here. There are 46 women either leading women's groups or co-leading mixed gender community groups. Look, I'm sh- again, I'm just saying that to show you this is a little bit of where we are. We've got plenty, plenty to go. But both men and women have, according to Scripture, equal access to spiritual giftings, vital roles to play in the church. And so we should create clear paths for development in the church for both. And we're trying to build those pathways as we grow as a church. And abiding by God's design does not preclude a commitment to the development, empowerment, and advancement of women in ministry or unleashing their giftings in the church. Again, we're still a work in progress. But what I'm showing you is that the office of elder is not about that. It's about God's design as he's laid out in Scripture. And we're unapologetic about this. I'll give you a couple of key texts in this. Another one's over in 1 Timothy 3. It's like a companion text here to Titus, very much an echo. Paul's telling a different church, different leader. He says, an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, these aren't the only reasons why we say elders should be men because of these two verses. Because husband of one wife is a kind of a strange way to say an elder needs to be a male. On top of that, neither Paul nor Jesus were married. So it'd be an inconsistent thing to say only married men can serve when Paul wasn't married. These are arguments against polygamy and warnings against polygamy, against having multiple wives, because Christ had only one wife, the church. And elders are to look like Jesus. So they're to be faithful men, a one-woman kind of man. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul says when talking about the church, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. God has reserved the authority in the church for, listen to me, qualified men, not any man. As a species, men do not have authority over women, okay? That that would, ugh. Um, (laughs) Come on, y'all. We need one another, all right? Brothers and sisters, qualified men appointed by the church to the office of elder are entrusted with authority over the church. So, y'all, we're doing our humble best to try and practice this because we believe it's best for God's church when we follow God's word. And that's what we're after here. We're trying to follow God's word. We do believe qualified men and women are able to serve in the role of deacon. That's a separate sermon, but the same underlying reasoning. We're trying to obey scripture. So my five minutes are up. Yes, we believe elders should be men, the kind of qualified men that women flourish under. And if women aren't flourishing under their leadership in our church, they're the wrong men. It's got nothing to do with gifting. It's God's design. Next thing I see in verse 6, back in Titus uh, 1, is that he's a leader of a well-ordered home. What's happening is the Bible is saying the home is kind of like a proving ground. Whatever his current station in life is, especially the home, is a proving ground for ministry. Are you leading your family well? Do you have a well-ordered life? That's why we do bring a candidate's wife in on the process. How's this guy in his home? Uh, Now, a dad can't control the conversion of his kids, but he can lead them in a dignified, gracious way. So yes, you should be watching my kids, but not whether or not they sin, all right? I don't need you making that list. You don't need anybody making that list about you, right? Look, too many pastor's kids grow up with bad memories. I'm thankful, by the way, this is not um, the Shelton home. Our kids love our church, but too many pastor's kids grew up with bad memories because their church thought that, I don't know, a pastor's kid should sin like 30% less than other kids or something. That, look, you should be watching how they respond to me. They should be responsive to the loving leadership of their father, and that's on me, not them. In other words, the whole, well, you know, pastor's kids, that shouldn't be a thing, right? Paul calls for elders to be faithful leaders and shepherds of their own households if they're to be considered leaders and shepherds of the household of God. First Timothy 3. All right. Next, verse 7. Y'all still doing okay? Yeah. Doing good? We're good. Good. We get this word blameless applied now to overseeing the church. And there's some things that he must not be and then some things that he must be. First we get what he must not be. Verse 7. An overseer of God's household, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. Not arrogant. Not hot-tempered. Not an excessive drinker. Not a bully. Not greedy for money. See, All of these, they are signs of sin running unchecked in a man's heart. Really, all of them reveal this man is not controlled by God's Spirit, but by his own desires. They reveal that he has submitted to his fleshly desires instead of the Holy Spirit. He must not be arrogant. An arrogant leader thinks he is worthy to be praised. But the gospel says we are wretched sinners and God saved us only by his mercy. An elder can't be arrogant because he must lead his people in awareness of humility that their own sin brings them. He must lead us to worship Jesus' name, not his own. Look, (laughs) uh, let me say something. It's not on the list, but it's so true. Since an elder isn't Jesus, the one thing he must do that Christ did not do, he's got to be repentant when he sins. An elder is not so consumed by pride that he refuses to confess his sins. It says he must not be hot-tempered. The next thing there. The gospel is a message of the patient, loving, kindness of the Lord. The Lord's patient and not hot-tempered. In his patience, he waited on you. Elders model that gospel patience by loving, even strong-willed people. (laughs) And elders not eager to fight. Guys who love conflict, they almost always don't last as elders. Good elders don't like conflict, but they're not afraid of it either. They're shepherds. You've got to guard against wolves, and when wolves attack, elders go first and often get injured in the process, but better him than the sheep, because they're willing to die to themselves. He must not be an excessive drinker, it says. He's not controlled by drink. He doesn't escape escape to drink. He's controlled by the Spirit and escapes into the Spirit. In doing so, he models the gospel to be a better escape, a better place to run to than anything, any substance, anything else than this earth can offer. He must not be a bully because it says the Lord has power. We saw that in Philippians 2. But the gospel said he laid aside power and came not to be served but to serve. And elders got to model that. If he manipulates people in situations, he's getting them to do his will, not the Lord's will. That's a wolf, not a shepherd. He must not be greedy for money because the gospel is the message of the radical generosity of God. God gave his son for us. And elders have got to demonstrate that by being radically generous to others. So then Paul says this is what he must not do. And then he turns around and says, okay, here's what they should look like. Here's what the love of God looks like in action. And the elders are to look like, to be tangible expressions of the gospel. Here they are, verse 8. But hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Hospitable. Jesus describes God's love as a father welcoming his lost son home again. It's loving people. Hospitality is a genuine concern for your soul. It's not whether or not your decorations are seasonal, all right? And the elders are to go first here. And a church where elders are hospitable will be known as a welcoming church. Y'all, one of the things that I am so grateful to God for that I prayed for when we launched this church is that this could be a church for prodigals where those who had been running from God but are like, man, I got to try and figure my life out. God puts them at a spot where they're like, I don't really know who I am anymore. I'm going to turn and a friend invites them and they show up here and I'm so thankful that I feel like this is the character of Mercy Church is hospitable and I see it in our elders. He must love what is good. The gospel creates a people who are a light in a dark world. The elder loves obeying God because he has experienced the goodness and joy of obeying God. And in doing so, he makes the gospel attractive to those around him. He must be sensible. (laughs) There's not a massive gap between how he sees himself and how the world sees him. I heard one guy say, (laughs) basically, he's not one of the... You guys remember the show American Idol that will live forever for how unself-aware those early episode contestants were, right? And I want to say, he's just not one of those early contestants on American Idol, right? Where he thinks he can sing and the rest of the world is like, nah, man. (laughs) You're being made famous for how much you can't sing, right? Knowing his limits and using reason, he shows the gospel to be reasonable. He must be righteous. The gospel is the news that righteousness will win out over evil one day. The yes, there is injustice and there is oppression in this world, but that's not the way it should be. And one day God will right all the wrongs. And in the meantime, elders serve as models of the righteousness of God in their own lives and as they fight for justice for everyone. He must be holy. Because the gospel is the announcement of a holy God reconciling sinners to himself, making sinners holy again. And elders are to model that holiness for the church. You should look At your elders and say, I want that kind of holiness. I want that. Lastly, he must be self controlled. This is the the positive expression, the counterpart to he can't be an excessive drinker. He's got to show what it looks like to submit human desires to God's desires and then show how that life is actually better. Doesn't mean he's stoic, it means that he holds his tongue and his Twitter rants, okay? Like Jesus, he submits his desires to God's desires, and because of that, you're able to trust him, which will point you to trusting in Christ. Now, that's who an elder is. That's the character. You look at this passage, and what you see is Paul's overwhelming concern is character, not ability. But then in verse 9, he gives us one ability that he has to have. Listen, that's why becoming an elder, we take a lot of care in this whole thing to assess character. We assess this ability, this shows in verse 9, but the overwhelming thing is character. So we take a lot of time and interview a lot of people around someone before we put them in front of you because character is the thing, y'all. The big thing here is this the kind of man where the more you see him, the more you see Christ through him. Is that who he is? Now let me show you what he does. Verse 9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able To both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. An elder teaches the gospel faithfully. That's his job. That's his big job is to grip the faithful message that has been handed down for 2,000 years and to encourage and equip people with it. To govern the church in a way that ensures the church is remaining faithful to the word of God to make sure each member is growing as a follower of Jesus, and to make sure the church as a whole is making wise, faith-filled decisions that lead us toward fulfilling the mission God has us here for. That's a giant responsibility. Teach the gospel faithfully. And we assess it, and we vet it, and we've told you time and time again, what's our main ministry value here? We keep the gospel at the center of all we do. It's a big responsibility. So you got to pray for your elders you got to pray for humility. you got to pray for wisdom. Pray for protection against the enemy. Pray for unity among one another as we make decisions on leading our church forward. In fact, church, the Bible gives you responsibility in this as well. It's interesting. In 1 Timothy 5, it gives you the responsibility to honor and care for your leaders. The elders, he says, who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Okay, a little bit of an awkward moment. Did I just tell you to double honor me? Okay, I guess it's a little bit weird and uncomfortable, but I got to tell you what God's word says even in awkward moments. So, you know, but we're talking about elders and the reality is a lot of churches will chew up elders in a three to five year cycle and those guys leave burnout and bitter. And one of the things that I'm actually hopeful for in spending time talking about this today Is I recognize, I've told you this before, people usually live in Charlotte for about four years. That's the average uh, tenure of a resident in Charlotte, and they go on somewhere else. If the Lord should have you move somewhere at some point in time, I want you to be someone who goes as a blessing to a local church. And understanding how a church functions is huge in that. And it's to the church's own detriment when it misses this. So Hebrews 3.17, again, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable to you. God is saying if their job is more begrudging duty than delight, it will actually be to your detriment too. Because the gospel is this life-giving message, and elders are to come to the brothers and sisters of the church and remind them once again today, God loves you. He loves you. And he wants you. And to remind you that whatever you brought in here today, whatever weight you're carrying, you can set it down at Christ's feet. Whatever sin you're hiding, you can find forgiveness in him, just as we have. Whatever suffering you're going through, he can carry you through it. My job and the job of the elders is just to point you to Jesus. The words of Count Zinzendorf, way back in the Protestant Reformation, is just to preach Christ. My job, preach Christ, die and be forgotten. Just point you to Jesus. i got to be faithful to that message. It says you're created by God to know God like a child knows his father. He loves you, and he wants you to know him. You and I have sinned, and I can't leave that out and just tell you you should live your best life now. I can't. The gospel message is profoundly clear that your sin and my sin has separated us from God. We are lost and we need saving, and I know that that's offensive in our day and age. But y'all, at least you can respect it. If we believe eternity is at stake, we love you enough to tell you the truth instead of just hide it from you because we think it might be uncomfortable for a minute. And because you can't save yourself, oh, God sent Jesus to die for your sin. You and I deserve to die for it, yet God wouldn't let us. We were guilty, and yet Jesus stepped in and paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And after that, he rose again, meaning sin and death no longer have claim over our lives. It means you can be saved from your sin and have eternity with God the Father. You can be forgiven, and you can be reconciled to God himself, but you got to receive it. You weren't born into this. Salvation is not your birthright. Salvation is something God has extended to you in Christ, but you got to receive it. That's the elder's job, to keep that message in front of you and help the people of the church apply the gospel into their lives, equip them in the giftings God has given them for the work of ministry so that they can flourish as God has designed them and the gospel can go forward in our community when I talk about our vision as a church to see a gospel awakening in Charlotte carried to the ends of the earth, man, the elders are the one who are going to stand behind you and who are going to encourage you and equip you, God willing, for this task. Not going to do it apart from you. It's going to be a work together because God has made the church a body and the elders are here to serve it. So what I want to do, I want to do two things, actually. Um, I have not plan on this. I want to take a second and prayerfully just respond. You and the Lord. And then I want to step into commissioning elders. So both uh, at Northeast and here, Providence Road, I want us to take a second and just in prayer respond to the Lord from what you've heard in his word about this role of elders. However the Lord is leading you to respond. Maybe it's you've been considering this role. And you've been on the sidelines in ministry. Maybe it's not even elder. You've just been on the sidelines in general. Maybe it's you just got to hand over some hurt from a previous setting or situation that you haven't let the Lord in to deal with on because it's been painful. Whatever it is, I want to give us a chance to respond. Would you bow your head in a posture of prayer? Both of our campuses, I'll lead us through this. I just want you to say, Lord, what is my next step? in responding to your word here. Maybe you need to say, Lord, help me to forgive from where I was hurt. You have forgiven me. So I'm just asking for help. Maybe it's the first time you've asked the Lord for help. I promise you he can give it. It may be a long road, but I promise you he can heal. Maybe you need to say, Lord, give me courage to step off the sidelines in the ministry. It may not be as the role of elder, but just you've given me a gift. I'm not using it, and I want to use it. Help me, Lord. God, I pray in these next few moments, as we go to commission these men that you would... um, I pray your blessing over this. We need you, Father. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. With these that we're commissioning, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. We need you. We love you. God, give us courage to respond to where you are leading each one of us.